I want to start with a psalm. I've been feeling this conviction, like conviction's a church word, meaning God's saying, hey, stupid, you're doing it wrong. Did you know that? Okay, no, nobody else gets the, hey, stupid, you're doing it wrong from God. I get it all the time, church. <laughs> no, we don't hear all of God's word, and so today I wanted to start with a psalm. I did this last week. I don't know why. I just feel compelled. The psalm is the book of poetry that God inspired his people to write. I don't want you to think that whenever Brian stands up here this morning, he says, our heart's desire is to long for the relationship with Christ, that that's new. God's people have always longed for relationship with him. Starting from the Garden of Eden, whenever there was that break in relationship with Adam and Eve, there's been a soul longing for reunion with God. I would love to talk to you, and I probably will at some point, about how Adam and Eve were saved how Noah was saved, how Abraham was saved, but it's all the same. The cliff notes is this, Jesus Christ saved them all. Their faithful longing. Today, King David, I'm gonna read this, this psalm from Psalm 42. You can turn there if you want. Remember the trick I taught you last week, it's almost in the middle of your Bible. You flop it open, it's a little to the left probably. Psalm 42, you can turn there if you want. If you don't, you can just listen. I want you to hear the psalmist's heart today as we enter into worship through the word. This is what the word says, Psalm 42, for the director of music, a masculine and of the son of Korah, the sons of Korah, as the deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you, O God. Now I want to stop real quick and say this. Have you ever heard that song as a deer? Did anybody hear that song before? I wasn't raised in church, but I heard it enough as an adult that I just, when I thought of the psalm, it just gave me like these shivers. I'm not trying to be mean. I know people love that song, you know, as a deer panteth for the water. But, you know, I'm convinced that sometimes church ladies have ruined scripture for us. Because when I think about that song, I'm like, yeah. You know, I would, like, avoid it, honestly. But I was reading this psalm because God convicted me, and I want you to hear, because it's not a joke. You know, some of our dudes aren't here this morning because they're out trying to kill deer. Did you know that? Some of the guys are out there trying to kill deer right now. And if you don't, I was going to show you a picture, but I thought it would be too graphic for everybody. Some people get mad at me for it. But if you've ever seen a deer that's panting for water, it ain't pretty. You know, like if you just Google, like, dead deer, you'll see more than you care to see about dead deer, right? The truth is that without water, deer can't live. You ever seen a deer's tongue hang out of its mouth? It, this psalm turns into almost a joke when we make it this beautiful, it's this ugly, horrible, desperate moment for a deer. Where will I find the quenching for my thirst? Where will I be satisfied in this barren land? As the deer pants for water, as the deer longs for a drink, as a deer longs to not die, so my soul longs for you. I don't know how many of us are that desperate for God anymore. I don't know how many of us really believe that we are that desperate that like a deer longs for a taste, a drink, a sustenance. We need God. We long for God. My soul pants for you, oh God. I'm just going to read the rest of the psalm now. I wanted you to get that. Like, let's just, I don't know, maybe it's just me with that song, but I just want to forsake that song and embrace the psalm. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When, where, when can I go to meet with God? Listen to this in verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night when men say, men say to me all day long, where is your God? 
These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to be with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and great thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, because I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. I mean, there's this really interesting thing here where the psalmist is going, where are you? And yet he's saying, I will put my hope in him, my Savior, and my God. My soul is downcast in me, the psalmist writes. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, Mount Mizar, Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, and at night his song is in me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to my God and my rock, you, have you forgotten me? Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemies? Listen, my bones suffer mortal agony, and all my foes mock me saying to me all day long, here it is again, where is your God? Last night we were at a youth service. Our youth did a great job of leading worship. But one of the things that they share with us is how hard it is to admit to their friends in school that they believe in God. Why? Why would that be hard for you to admit at work that you believe in Jesus Christ or that you would tell your, your coworkers or your friends at school or your mom or your dad that you really believe in Jesus? I think it's caught up here in the psalmist where it says, my enemies taunt me, saying, where is your God? Those longing times that were desperate for his solution, were desperate for his presence. Why are you downcast in verse 11, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God because I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This journey of faith in Christ is no joke. And the psalmist here captures the essence in this deer that thirsts for water, longing for him to be present, longing for him to be fulfilled. Our greatest hope, Brian said so eloquently, is not in the things we can do for God, but in God's presence with us. We die without it. Listen, we die without it. How badly do you desire God today? How badly did your soul cry out? We're going to talk about that. I'm going to ask you to pray with me as we enter into God's word that he would reveal himself through his profound Holy Spirit among us, that he would do his work and his people. Please join me as we talk to our Father. Father God, we thank you for the time we have, and we thank you even for the soul's inclination to turn our hearts towards Scripture and hear the saints who come before us saying how desperate we are for you. Father, for all the ways that we pretend we're okay, for all the stuff that gets in our way that we act like we got it figured out because we don't need you as much, I pray that that stuff would just fall away today and we would admit our soul's desire for you. I pray, Father God, that today as we've come into your house, into your presence, into your very sanctuary here, that you would consecrate this place, that you would stop the noise in our mind, that you would just throw the, the, the deceiver out, that we would not be distracted any longer by the things of this world, but we focused on your great love and presence for us. And Father, not by our many great words, but by your power, may you reveal yourself today. May you make yourself known amongst your people. May you give us a taste 
and even, Father, a greater longing for you. Even as it's not fulfilled, a greater need for the presence of our Savior and God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wanted to talk to you today in this new series we're just starting up called The Life You Never Wanted. You know, I was, had this great idea back. I was going to have this whole fall series about the life you always wanted, you know, like the life you always wanted, like you know what's best for you. Like, I don't know if you believe that lie yourself, but I believe that I know what's best for me. I mean, if God would just ask me for my plan for my life, I could tell him all the good stuff I need, and it would be better, right? And then I realized as I read Scripture, and if you've been hanging out with me for a while, you know as I've been reading Scripture, I don't see a lot of that in the Bible, a lot of what I see in the Bible is God moving in people's lives in ways that they would never expect or even ask for. That the things that end up defining us as his people are things that we would never choose of our own will. But he would call us into these places. And so today we're going to start this study called The Life You Never Wanted. The Life You Never Wanted. We're going to be looking at the, uh, the, the Gospel of Luke this morning, Luke chapter 7. We're going to kind of talk through a little bit of the scriptures here. The Gospels are beautiful because they're a reminder of what Jesus has done, and yet I was talking to someone this week and reminding all of us, including myself, that the entire Bible is pointing to Christ. The entire book, the psalmist, was longing for the presence of the Messiah, his Savior, and his God, just like we are today. Even though we know him, yet we desire him all the more. Well, today we're going to hear this story about um, Jesus encountering some folks in his ministry on earth. And I, I love it because just like maybe today with the kids, and I wasn't trying to be cute, I mean it, like God serious about children just like he's serious about all of you, you know. And uh, today we're going to talk about how he interacted with people. But he always did it in ways that we didn't expect, you know what I mean? That the people who were like the muckety-mucks would say, that's not how you do it, Jesus. And he's like, I know exactly what I'm doing. And today is an example of that. I'm going to read through these verses and talk with you about uh, what's maybe shown to us here. Starting in verse 36 of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. This is what the word says. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at his table. This is funny because, first of all, we know the history between Jesus and the Pharisees. And like, a lot of us like to make them like the really super bad guys. You know what I mean? Like they were the ones that tried to kill Jesus and they were trying to trick Jesus. But here I want you to see that right away the guy invites Jesus to his house and Jesus is like, yeah, I'll come out, hang out with you. He goes and he sets with them, right? And I don't know what this meant for the Pharisee, but it must have been a pretty cool deal. I don't know if he was trying to trick him or what, but he was there and Jesus accepted. And so they went and they reclined at the table. They were sitting around kind of hanging out together. And look at verse 37. A woman then who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she brought a jar, an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped his feet with her hair, and she kissed them, and she poured perfume on them. This is a crazy text. This is a crazy story about Jesus when he was walking the earth. You have him here at a religious person's house. 
And I don't know how you would greet someone who came to your house, but I don't know that I would fall at their feet, weep on them, and then use my hair, which would be hard for me to wipe, right? Because you and I are much more comfortable meeting Jesus face to face, aren't we? Like we want Jesus on our own terms. And here this Pharisee who's got, I don't know what his purpose is in having Jesus into his house, but it's super cool. By the way, if you've never invited Jesus into your house, just do it. It'd be super cool. Just say, hey, Jesus, you can come to my house anytime you want. Hang out with me. Come into my life and show me things. But this woman, when she hears that Jesus is there, she does not enter as one who is coming on her own terms. She enters as one who has been broken by sin, who's been turned inside out, who has no hope and who's desperate for a solution. Her soul is longing within her as she sees Jesus at the table. The amazing thing is that we get no backstory on her at all from Scripture. We don't know where she comes from, but what we do know is the first thing she does when she meets her Savior is she begins to weep at his feet. There's this idea you get from the Scripture as you visualize what's happening here with Jesus reclining at the table with a Pharisee where his feet must have been kind of behind him. He's not even looking that direction when she begins to weep and use her hair to wipe his feet. This whole idea seems crazy to me. And as in fact, it was the same way to the Pharisee, because in 39, the Pharisee, when, who had invited Jesus, saw this happening behind Jesus, and apparently Jesus wasn't really paying much attention because the Pharisee felt the need to point out what was happening behind Jesus in 39. He thinks to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who it is who is touching him, listen, and what kind of a woman that is, that she is a sinner. Many times, you know, we, we show up for church, for worship, and we put on the right face, and we act the right way. And I'll tell you one way you're not supposed to act is desperate for God. Don't come to church acting desperate for God because we aren't comfortable with that. And this Pharisee sits and he says if, to himself, if this man were, he would know. You know what he's saying? I would never let that woman touch me like that. I would never let her weep on my feet and wipe her hair on me and she's gross, she's nasty. You know what she's done? See, this guy knew who she was. So she was from that town, doesn't it? But you know what's more amazing to me? Is that this woman knew who Jesus was. Right? It wasn't so impressive that the Pharisee knew all the sins this woman had committed in her life. Everyone knew. Everyone knew who she was. But for this woman who came to the back door and fell at his feet. She knew who Jesus was. She recognized him. And maybe that's what it should be more like in our life. That we would come as one who recognizes Jesus and doesn't care about the other people who are there, what's happening around us. Well, Jesus answers him, which is funny, because Jesus might ask, answer a question you never ask. 
But he, Jesus answered him in his heart, right? I don't know if you have the conversation with Jesus. Um, Simon, I have something to tell you. I want to skip this little bit of scripture here. Because you can come back later and read it, where Jesus kind of gets this little teaching moment in. But as, I don't know, like a Western thinker, I think we get dislodged from the narrative. So I'm gonna, I want to jump down to 44. So Jesus turns to the woman and then says to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman has not stopped kissing my feet from the moment that I entered the house. From the moment that she entered, she's not stopped kissing my feet. And you put no oil on my head, Simon, but she has poured perfume out on my feet. And therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven because she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. That's all a dialogue that Jesus has with Simon about this woman. Like, he looks at her and talks to him. Do you see her? I know her. I know her. I know who she is. You have done none of these things for me. Simon, maybe, is a lot like you and I, where we go, I need Jesus, sort of, right? I mean, I need Jesus, kind of, because I got most of my stuff figured out. So we kind of categorize ourselves, and then, you know, crisis comes, maybe we need Jesus more, but normal stuff, we got it. We got this. I'm always reminded of the story about coming to the promised land, where God says to his people, I'm afraid whenever I bless you, you're going to forget who got you here. We have this disconnect as people, and we don't need Jesus. And here, this woman exemplifies the desperate need for Jesus while the Pharisee says, I don't know. I'm glad he's here. I'm glad he's hanging out with me, but I'm not sure. And that, that's, kind of, uh, that's kind of embarrassing, what's happening with her. What's even crazier, he turns into the woman and he says, your sins are forgiven. Right? All the stuff, all the accusations, everything, her soul has been satisfied in her Savior. Your sins are forgiven. To have that wash over us is a beautiful gift that he would just say it. The other guests who were at the table began to say, who is this that he can forgive sins? And Jesus said, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. The truth is that for many of us, we are much more like that Pharisee than that desperate woman, you see. Um, I want to share a few more verses with you, and I want to talk practically about why this matters. I want to really dig in for a minute and just say, so what? Who cares? Why? You know, because other than the discomfort of having someone do this, of having someone fall at someone's feet and weep and, you know, wipe her, his feet with their hair and pour the perfume on and make this spectacle in this religious man's house, who cares? A couple of verses I want to share with you. 
And this is the first. Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's hidden in a field. And when a man finds a treasure, he hides it and he sells everything that he has and he buys the field. Like the kingdom of heaven is such a big deal that when you, when you finally get it, you're willing to give up everything you got to keep it, to be part of it, to retain it, to be part of the promise. That there's this holy desperation that sets in over us. And then the second one I want to share with you is this, Jesus. As he's being tempted, right out of the desert, right, baptized, Holy Spirit, desert sent, comes back, Satan's there, and he's tempting Jesus. And Jesus' answer is this, just one of his answers, we can't get into all this, it says, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, Right? I mean, how many times have you stood at a table and saw the bread and thought of your need for Christ? Have you ever had that experience? I had that experience this week where someone had laid out these huge loaves, all this food, this abundance, this meal. And you know what? I wasn't even hungry. I wasn't even hungry, and I was thinking about eating anyway. Well, maybe just a little snack. Maybe I'll just... I got this conviction. How, when we're so satisfied, when we're so full all the time, do we ever recognize our need for Christ? The amazing thing about this is that Jesus didn't say this in a time when he was full. He said this in a time when he was starving. He was starving to death. And Jesus says these words, I don't need bread. I need the word of my Father. I don't need food. I need the word of God in me. I need something worth living for. Something that will sustain me and keep me. Man does not live on bread alone. But I tell you what, we act like it in this country, don't we? Well fed, right? What else could you need? Right? The last thing we want is starving children. Becomes this mantra. The greatest need we have, the greatest hope we have, the greatest desire we have is to be well fed and safe. I was convicted of this whenever we went to um, Guatemala. Those of you who were there in Guatemala, um, the ministry to the orphans. I tell you what, if you want to leave the country and have a good reason, just talk about orphans. You know, the amazing thing is that there's orphans everywhere, and so we can tendency as a church to go to orphans, right? Rock Ministries is an orphanage. Uh, Honduras is an orphanage. Guatemala was, like, not really an orphanage, but they were taking care of children. That's why we went there for the children, right? Uh, it's beautiful. Some of our blast workers volunteer because of the children you saw up here today. Like, that's something you'll get behind is children, you know. We're down with that. But in Guatemala, I'll start there, you see, uh, the, the city, Antigua, was where the ministry was happening, but then the people lived in the mountains, right? And if you were there, you remember that we went there, and there was, like, nothing in the mountains. Like, you would go from, like, cobblestone streets and shops and stuff. They weren't rich, but they had a roof over their heads and, you know, some amenities that we would call comfortable here. And in the mountains, you had, like, a, uh, think of, you know, your, your grandpa's tool shed without a concrete floor, <laughs> you know. They lived in it. 
The crazy thing is people was this. The first day we went there, we're like, okay, where's their house? They're like, that's their house. And we did that whole American heartbreak thing, you know, North American heartbreak. We're like, people live here? And you come around the barbed wire fences, and then you see these little children running around with, like, underwear on, and they're dirty. And then you're just, that sensibility is shocked in you. You know what I mean? You're like, what's happening here? How can people live this way? And you can't get your head around it. Day one. Day two. We walk up and we're like, hey, thanks for having us to your house. I mean, I'm amazed how adaptable we are as people. Day two, it became normalized to us. We went back down. We stayed in the hotel that had the nice tile floor, the in-ground swimming pool, the air conditioning in the rooms, the maids who did our laundry for us, and then we went back out to the people living in the dirt houses. Life is normal. What's the big deal? Here's what got me. There was a halfway point up the mountain where they would get us. We had to walk halfway down the mountain, and they would pick us up in a pickup truck and drive us right down the mountain, and then they would drop us off. And so there's always some time there to sit and think about what God is doing here. And I began to ask this question, what gospel are we proclaiming to these people? I actually asked Lorinda that question, who was running the ministry. What gospel are we proclaiming to them? She's like, well, we want to come into their house. We want to do some good things for them. We want to give them stoves, which we did. Praise God for the stoves. We want to help them, you know, get nicer living. They're very, very poor. They have very little, and we want to give them more stuff. It's very important that they become more comfortable, like have more stuff. If you were up in the mountains, you remember it was gorgeous. God's creation all around them. And I go, wait a minute, though. What's the gospel we're preaching to them? Is that the gospel? Is it? I mean, I'm, I'm all for food and water. I'm all, I mean, listen to me, I'm a fat American, right? I'm all for food and water. Give me a break. But is that it? And I began to struggle with this question, which I still struggle with today, and I hope you'll just hear me for a minute. But the question is this. If the gospel for the people in the mountains of Guatemala is not food and water, but something else, what is the gospel for us? Because I tell you, we believe the lie that is food and water here. We have no holy desperation for God, including me. If it's not the gospel for them, it's not the gospel for us. And so what is the gospel? The gospel is not the American dream. The gospel is not to have all your needs met. The gospel is to know the God who made everything. And follow him anywhere, at any cost. And that's a dangerous truth. Man does not live on bread alone, but the very word of God. What's the gospel? Who are we preaching when we go? The same thing happened in Honduras when we were there. What hope are we bringing? Christ, that's all we have to offer the world. You're all going to die. You guys are all going to die. The only thing we have to offer you is Jesus, which is everything. The rest of it is just stuff along the way. Your house, your cars, your food, your bank account, it's stuff along the way. The nice casket they put you in at the end, it's just stuff along the way. You need a relationship with Christ in your life. We aren't comfortable being desperate. And the second thing that I want to ask, and this is very self-indicting, but I want to ask this question, why haven't you bought the field yet? I mean, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a man who finds a treasure in a field, and when he finds the treasure, he sells everything that he owns, and he buys the field for the treasure that's in it. He wants to be part of that. Why haven't you done that in your life? 
Why haven't you committed to Christ in your life? And, and, and I know, man, I'm with you. Like, you've done a lot of stuff, and, 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 and I'm not saying, it's not about, I want to be clear, it's not about family Bible church. It's about this huge God we serve with this, all this planet in his grasp. And, you know, what are you going to do with what God gave you? How are you going to respond to the gospel in your life? Because I don't see a lot of scripture saying he was content with people who were like, eh, you know, the treasure's over there, but didn't buy the field. I would say that in every way that you and I haven't bought it is the way that our heart isn't believing in Christ. Every way that we hold back, you know, Jesus, I want to follow you, but I need a little security here. I want to go after you, but I need a little more stability. I, I, I know you got a plan, but I kind of have a plan B just in case. And we are not in any way recognizing our condition as sinners and desperately needing salvation. We're not comfortable bowing down behind him and weeping at his feet and wiping his feet with our hair because he's holy and he's real and he's present with us. And instead, oh, like that Pharisee, we just kind of let the discomfort wane. <laughs> Whoo, you know, leave church today, get in your car, hit the cruise control, just get me to lunch. <laughs> What are we doing? See, here's the problem. Um, you and I look at the rest of the world and go, oh, they're so needy. They're so needy. And we don't see that in ourselves at all. You get that? I mean, the absolute ridiculous hypocrisy of that? Oh, they need Jesus. But we don't see it in the mirror. The desperation, the longing, the thirsting. How can we bring a drink to someone else if we aren't just swimming in it ourselves? I'm going to ask that you would pray with me as we go before the Lord again and just ask that question of him. What would he have you? I don't know even to do, but like, do you, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? The more I spend time with Jesus, the more offended I am with my life. He's so beautiful. Do you even need him? I mean, do you see the need? Pray with me if you would. Father, well, today we come here and we, we just come because we love you and we know you and you're so good to us and we don't deserve it. And we are well fed and we are well sheltered and we have so much stuff. And yet, Father, I, I'm brokenhearted. I'm not sure that we always need you. Father, I'll speak for myself among brothers and sisters here. I'm not sure that I need you sometimes. I believe the lie. I pray that you would break that in me. Break that in those of my friends here who would pray a, a prayer of desperation, a, a, a prayer of the people who are sick of pretending with their friends who are so desperate for a solution that they would just go and believe, come to you, ask for the forgiveness of sins, believing you'll deliver them in the end. I pray that you would continue to do this, what you're doing in our souls as we long for you. May be glorified, may your people be called into your kingdom, and may we have the courage, the character, 
your spirit's presence in our lives, it would be so relentless that we would not be satisfied with food and water, but only you. We'd be satisfied with you. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.